in the uh, passage you spoke of in Acts chapter 2, I want to pick up on a word there and have you, have you speak to that. Um, they're gathering or spending much time together in the temple. Mm-hmm. So the first church is in the temple because they're going to their houses to break bread. What's happening early on? Well, I think what this tells us is these folks are still Jews. Okay. They are Jews who have recognized that God has sent Messiah in Jesus, but they are still Jews. This is very much a Jewish movement. Again, uh, Luke begins in a very Jewish setting. So does Acts. It's not until uh, we get to chapters 10 and 11. Um, may, you get a hint of it in chapter 8 okay. where Philip uh, encounters the Ethiopian eunuch, mm-hmm. a, a non-Jew. A proselyte? Maybe Possible? a proselyte wannabe. Wannabe, okay. okay. Uh, but it's not until you get to 10 and 11 where Peter has this aha moment. Oh, oh my goodness. Gentiles are welcome too. <laughs> um, we've already, already heard in chapter 9 that Paul is going to be sent to the Gentiles. Mm. But it's not until 10 and 11 where you have this tipping point that, oh my goodness. So the first 11 chapters, even 12 chapters, still very, very Jewish. It's not until you get to chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas, they go off on on their first trip Mm -hmm. and they start welcoming Gentiles into 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 the fold. So in the early church then, these, these um, Jewish believers in the Messiah, at some point in time, do they cease meeting in the temple? Do we know? Is, you know it, we seem to have this movement to a house church format at some point. Is, right. is that to complement temple worship or is it in replacement of? Uh, I would say it complements it and, and what complicates, thing, complicates things are the Gentiles because the Gentiles as Paul you know, says over and over and over again, they don't have to become Jews. Right. Gentiles do not have to become Jews. I imagine, we don't, we don't hear this explicitly, but I imagine that Pauline communities uh, that are mixed, Jew-Gentile, the Jews, yes, they would be meeting in people's homes, but I imagine the Jews would still be going, if, if they're in Jerusalem, to the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're in the diaspora, they would still be going to the synagogue. Is there, is there any threat that these new believers have by being in the temple and the synagogue? And what I mean by that is the Roman government see, seems to give the Jewish people some type of special dispensation mm-hmm. to worship their own God. Yes. Um, these new believers who will eventually be called Christians, but you know, at this point are, are Jews who believe in Jesus as Messiah, they don't have that special dispensation. Is there something about their belief that is going to cause trouble for temple worship, synagogue worship for the Jews? Probably not necessarily the Jews who became you know, Christians, who, yeah. who follow, were followers of Jesus. 
it's probably not until Gentiles start that they start to create problems. Because they, they cannot come into the temple, synagogue? Or? Yeah, and, and, and they won't. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's probably what starts to... And, and this, is, this gets very complicated very fast, but the initial persecution of Christ followers probably doesn't come directly from the Roman government. It probably starts with people's peers because what what you have is you have non-Jews who have been polytheistic. They they have honored the Roman pantheon of gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. They become followers of Jesus, which has a very Jewish background of monotheism, now they, as part of their faith, they reject the Roman gods. Well, that's a real problem because the Roman gods and goddesses are patrons of the citizenry of usually specific towns. Mm-hmm. And if there isn't 100% loyalty on uh, 100% loyalty given to the patron deity, Whatever that then, local community's gods that's are. That's correct. Yeah. Then everybody has a problem because if you're going to make the gods mad, yeah. they're going to take it out on everybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, peer pressure is too, is too slight a term. There is a, 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 a strong motivation for non-believing neighbors to get their... Christian or Christ following neighbors to stop and to honor the, the Roman gods mm-hmm. and goddesses. I, I have some skin in that game. Mm-hmm. So persecution in the early church probably comes from peers rather than from above. Right. Now, it, it, it eventually moves upward, but that probably is because the populace is complaining about these people are endangering us. Yeah. But it starts at the grassroots level, not from top down. So, so is there some, I mean, we hear so much about Nero, for example. Um, is there some level of governmental persecution going on or in certain periods? Or is it really kind of that, as you said, peer-to-peer where they're feeling pressure around them because they don't want to offend the gods, but probably really the government the yeah. locals, the pagans. It's, it's probably not an either or. It's probably a both, both hand. Both but hands. eventually, it, it, you know, we have, well, you have the example of Nero, who probably was responsible for the fires. According to Roman historians, mm-hmm. uh, ancient Roman historians, Nero was probably responsible for the fires, but needed a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. And Suetonius tells us the Christians became the scapegoat. Yeah. Right. Um, that's certainly, you know. Roman government persecution. Uh, we have uh, a letter f- from uh, Pliny, who is the Pliny, who is the governor of what is now Turkey's a portion of Turkey. It's uh, you know Asia Minor, mm-hmm. Bithynia, which is mentioned in First Peter, uh, writing to Tra- the Emperor Trajan, saying, "I got all these Christians. What am I supposed to do with them?" <laughs> uh, well, they're being ratted out by their neighbors. Yeah. This is how Pliny knows that they're Christians because folks are pointing them out. So this is why I say I think there's, 
it, it's a both and. It, mm-hmm. it, it is grassroots, but eventually it involves levels mm-hmm. of government that, that yeah. get involved. It's important the government can't ignore the problem, as it were. That's correct. They respond. So, so in, in light of that, then, can you talk a little bit how the, you know, the early church in Acts, what's the model? Where, where's it going? What's, what's it doing? Well, it's, it's interesting you ask that question, Steve, because we, we really don't know a whole lot about the day-to-day you know, operations of the early church from Acts. Um, we know they get together. We know that they pray. We know that they worship together. Um, you have the example of, of Peter who's locked up in chapter mm-hmm. 12. He's in jail. And what does the community do? They get together and they pray for his release. And when he gets released, they they tell the the young lady who who meets him at the door, "Ah, you're nuts! I can't be." Uh, that, there's a lesson on on prayer for you. Uh, so we know that, uh, and we also know that the community in Antioch, you know, sets aside Paul and Barnabas for missionary work. Mm-hmm. Um, but from chapter 13 on, it's all about what Paul is doing out on the mission field yeah. versus what's going on in, in the home communities. All we know is Paul is, is very keen to come back and report all that God was doing mm-hmm. through them uh, when he returns from his, from his travels. It, it, it almost seems to some degree that um, the Acts text is focusing in essence on kind of the things that are occurring as the church begins. Some of the tension, some of the Jewish Gentile tension, right? Who's going where? And oh, by the way, when you go out, you know, what have you got to require or not require of people? You, you know, I, I sense a fair amount of that, uh, you know, of, of here comes Paul. What do we do with Paul? You know, Paul, mm-hmm. Paul was... Um, Paul was not the kind of guy you wanted to spend time with when he was a Jewish Pharisee. When he gets off the road to Damascus, I don't know that his demeanor changes a whole lot. His approach and what he believes in does, but I'm guessing he was still a bit of a hard case to deal with, especially if, if you're coming from the apostles and you're coming from a different place and you've got your movement and then Paul, he's not ambushing their movement, but he sure is throwing a monkey wrench in their in their approach and stuff. I sense that in Acts as opposed to worrying about things like church structure. That plays out in some of the other writings as we go. Is that fair to say? That is absolutely fair to say. And again, it gets I go back to um, something we talked about at the very beginning. The, the major theme of Luke-Acts is how does this movement include non-Jews? Mm. How does it include Gentiles? And so a, a very pivotal moment in that is, is in Acts 15. Um, then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now these, mm-hmm. these, are, these are Jewish followers of Jesus. They are not just Jews. They are Jewish followers of Jesus. They are within the community, and they're saying, all right, we see that these Gentiles are coming in. That's Acts 10 and 11. Uh, but they better be circumcised. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the Jerusalem Council. This overlaps somehow, 
probably with Galatians. Galatians, mm -hmm. uh, the latter part of chapter 1 and then chapter 2. How is not particularly clear. Um, but Paul is involved in uh, obviously both, obviously Galatians, but also in Acts 15. And the community is trying to wrestle with this question. Gentiles, they've received the Spirit. That's, we know that. Mm -hmm. So now what do we do? Right. And um, the answer is this letter that they decide to send, uh, which does a couple things. It, by putting these stipulations on the Gentiles, they are, they are not putting entrance, requirement on, entrance requirements on Gentiles. They're saying, this is how you need to behave so we can get together as a community, because we're still Jews. Mm. We're going to be really offended if we sit down together and eat and you pull out your ham sandwich. That's, that's just not a good thing for us. So that's a, real, that's a really great point. I want, I want to kind of say it back to you and make sure I understand. This issue of ritualism, Jewish ritualism, Jewish legalism for the Gentiles is not a salvation issue. It's a community issue. Absolutely. It, um, Beverly Gaventa is a uh, New Testament scholar who has written a commentary on Acts, and I, I'm very convinced by what she says. She argues that in this letter that they, that they send out in Acts 15, starts in verse 23, it's quoted in verses 23 uh, through 29, uh, she argues that what they are alluding to is any form of idolatry you have to you cannot you cannot take part in any form of idolatry mm -hmm. uh, which which makes sense because uh, from a christian jewish standpoint a a gentile a non-jewish person in the greco in greco-roman culture would have been completely covered up with idolatry everywhere you turn it was idolatry so what, what these folks are saying is, folks in the, within the community are saying, if, if we're going to exist as a community, then you have to refrain from all forms of idolatry. Mm. But it's so we can exist as a community. It's, it's not an entrance requirement. Mm -hmm. It's not to get in. You're already in. Yeah. Now that you're in, this is how, this is how we behave. That sounds so much more like a church issue. Granted, the church is, is in its infancy at this point, but it's, if we're going to be community, if we're, if we're going to live, live this shared life together that you referred to uh, in a couple of references and acts, how do we do that? And, and it sounds like they kind of came to a compromise. They, they, it, it's, it's genius because they recognize difference mm -hmm. and they don't try and eradicate difference. But they say, where, where is the, the middle ground that we can meet on so that we can still be a community? Mm. It's a great lesson for today because it, we don't mm. seem to have much middle ground anymore, unfortunately. No, we don't. Um, in, in society, nor, nor in a lot of our churches, um, we, we joke about, even though it's not a joke, it's very true, it doesn't take but one disagreement to start a new church because half the congregation is going to walk out over you pick it right any issue that can happen and and they seem to have really wrestled with it maybe that's what we don't do as much very well is we don't wrestle with the issue you quoted um, the the jewish professor earlier and it's a it was a it was a great illustration of 
Yeah, it's what we do as Jews. We discuss and debate. Well, we generally, the Christian society stopped doing that so much, and we divide and conquer maybe even. Yeah. Well, and we, we've ceased, what, what we, I think what many folks try to do is eradicate difference. Mm. We have to all think the same, we have to look the same, we have to mm. be the same. Where this is honoring difference, mm-hmm. um, and, and allowing people to be who they are, as long as we can agree on a certain mm-hmm. set of guidelines. First, first one of which is that Jesus is Lord of all. Yeah, 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 sure. That's the starting point. So, much like Luke, we could go on this for hours and hours, days and days, but um, as, as we are, and there's so much that happens to Paul uh, in the latter, latter parts of Acts that we don't really have time to cover, but as we're leaving Acts and we're headed into the letters, Paul's letters and, and John's epistles and Peter's writings and stuff, What's happening as we leave Acts? What should we walk away from Acts with so that as we get into um, the next sections of the New Testament, it, it prepares us for what, what is going to be said? What, what do you take away with as you leave Acts? Except for the fact Paul makes it to Rome, which is kind of the whole point. <laughs> yeah, and, and so the, the gospel, is, as it says in 1.8, um, has gone to the ends of the earth. Yeah. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's uh, 1-8. Um, this is a very Western-centric view, mm-hmm. but this is all they knew. They, they probably were not aware of dynasties in China or, or that kind of thing, so we give them a pass. Um, but in, in Luke's worldview, Paul has reached the end of the earth. He's, he's reached the seat of power for his his um, for for his life and 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 where he exists. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, in in a way, so we we said you know Luke ends with Jesus ascending into heaven. That's where Acts begins. So you have you have a little bit of this overlap, right? Well, when you get to um, when you get to the end of chapter 28 of Acts, the, the, the Gentile mission is, is it's in place. Mm-hmm. So you have this one, one more time, Paul meets with the Jews first, and you get this pushback that we've seen. You, if, if you read about Paul's journeys, it's the same pattern. Paul enters the city, engages the Jews. Some believe, some reject. Paul says, I'm going to the Gentiles. Goes to the next city, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are in Rome. He has an audience with Jews. They push back. He says, I'm going to the Gentiles. So this is fully in place. So when you turn the page and you start to read Romans, you start to hear about Paul's dealing with the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. You know, how how did Paul you get into the nuts and bolts of all the issues that were involved in incorporating Gentiles into the church, especially in Romans and especially in Galatians. Uh, You start to, in Corinthians, you start to hear about not 
Gentiles entering the church, but Gentiles being in the church. Mm -hmm. What are the issues that come up? Well, there are sexual issues. Mm -hmm. There are issues of, that revolve around status and honor. It's a huge thing. Um, now, eventually, if you keep reading the letters, Gentiles getting into the church fades, and Gentiles being in the church becomes more of a more of a big deal. And I'm thinking of I've already mentioned Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, but I'm also thinking of like Ephesians. Mm -hmm. Ephesians just assumes that Gentiles are part of this community. And the author seems to try to remind them of their Jewish heritage or their their um what you know what the, what Jews have done for them but also to say but you're you're not chopped liver anymore mm -hmm. you know this this is who you are right right um, and if you if you keep reading the letters you start to hear other issues but they're not on Gentiles getting into the church eventually you start reading about false teaching in the church well to have false teaching, you have to have true teaching. And what I tell students all the time is, true teaching did not just fall out of the sky. The church had to figure out what is orthodoxy? Mm. What is orthodox? Well, it takes time to get that in place. And as soon as, in, as, as it is in place, you have people who are teaching differently. Yeah. And so we, ha we have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So in the letters, you see the progression of Gentiles entering, Gentiles being, and then a very mature church even have, you know, probably later letters, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. How are we going to structure this? We're going to need mm -hmm. a structure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's very human to put a structure on things and organize. <laughs> right? um, you know, how are we going to do that? And you know, how do we deal with these folks that don't believe like we do? Mm. Jude, Second Peter, First um, John, Second John. Mm -hmm. uh, what do we do when we're persecuted? Uh, James, First Peter. Well, you know, how do we deal with suffering? I, I thought we were Christians. I thought we avoided all this. No. Yeah. What is your reaction to suffering? Mm. And then finally you get to Revelation, and, and, and by the way, here's where we're going. This, yeah. is, this is where things go. God yeah. wins. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you're, you're right. That, that movement of the church of who's in, I don't want to say who's out, but kind of who's out. You know, Jesus, Jesus is the way, is, is a euphemism used for Jesus. Uh, and he shows people the way, but he doesn't necessarily work out all the theology of the way. And, and you get so much of that, right, in the back half of, of the New Testament. Uh, and we know that Luke and Paul, we think, writer of Luke-Acts, and then, of course, Paul spent some time together. Um, and if I didn't know any better, I would have thought they got together and decided how to go from Acts to what follows. And I know that's not true, but, you know, you get to the end of Acts 28, and, and I noticed two things. It says he lived there in Rome. Paul lived in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's it. 
there's nothing, it, 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 it's open-ended. There's, it's left, I don't want to say hanging, I'm almost thinking springboarding. And the two things that pop into my head immediately, one is, is that um, it is open-ended because in, in Romans, which gets placed after it, and, and that's not Paul's first writing. No. Right, it is later it's on. It's his longest writing. It's his long, it's his, I guess it's his theological treatise, right? Mm -hmm. It's very well thought out. And as you read through Paul's letters, you see him working through some of his theological concepts. So you get Romans right after Acts, almost as if it's supposed to be there so we can understand that theology before we get into all the mess that's happening in his churches and stuff. So you springboard into that. But then the other thing that, that jumps in my mind is is that we get, it, we get at the end of Acts and we're getting ready to get in these letters and we've started with Luke in this case about this upside down kingdom. And so it's a prisoner in Rome who gets to springboard us mm -hmm. into the churches of all things. No one guesses that, I don't right. think, before, before right. it happened. So I'm fascinated with how Acts ends. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, and I'm, I, I'm glad you mentioned that it's open-ended because it is very open-ended. And when, when you, in, in the ancient world, when you write a story, uh, in, in our pre-podcast conversations, we mentioned Plutarch, who mm -hmm. wrote a lot of ancient biographies. And I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct when I say in every one of them he talks about the death of the one mm -hmm. who is featured because that's really important. How one dies in an ancient bi biography is extremely important to give you insight into that person. Mm -hmm. So clearly that happens in the gospel. Mm -hmm. We hear how Jesus dies. We never hear how Peter dies. Mm -hmm. We never hear how Paul dies. So it, in, in some respects, Acts is very unsatisfying as an ancient document, hmm. as an ancient narrative. But I think it's the genius of the Holy Spirit because it is open-ended. And what it allows us to do is to realize, okay, now it's our turn. Hmm. We continue this narrative that has not ended. And it's not going to end until Revelation says it's gonna, going to end. Yeah. Right. So it's almost like the Holy Spirit handing us the torch and saying, okay, now you go run with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know about you, but that, that's a responsibility I'm not sure I want. But <laughs> guess what? We have it. Yeah. And taking a look at the modern 21st century church, we are really fumbling the, yeah. the torch. Yeah, um, we are. If you think about that, the Olympics just happened, and we had that that relay race, and we have four of the fastest human beings on the planet in the United States, and they can't even hand a little stick to each other. Yeah. Well, that's a great example of what's going on in the church right now. Yeah. We we're, we're fumbling the handoff, yeah. so to speak. Don't underestimate the the importance and the power of transitions. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just not doing yeah, a good job. They matter. They matter a lot. Well, I'm not sure there's a better way to leave this. I feel like we're, our job's not complete. We haven't really dealt with everything we should. But, hey, just like Acts, we're going to leave this open-ended. And people can do with it what they, what Absolutely. they would. Um, Jim, I, I, I thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for taking time to, re to record these, these podcast segments. Um, 
You know, I think highly of your teaching and your interpretation and the heart and soul you put into it. It has had a huge impact on me and how I do my work. Uh, and to be able to sit with you for, for this period of time and work through these has been a blessing for me. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to be equally as so, if not more so, uh, for the audience. Uh, good teaching matters. Good understanding matters. Um, and I had someone tell me in a class years ago uh, when I was kind of uh, teaching through uh, a segment of Scripture, um, she felt overwhelmed by it. And she made the statement, gosh, this, this, is, this seems ridiculous. The Bible is supposed to be easy to understand, isn't it? Um, and my response was, there are clearly some things that Scripture tells us that are very easy, and they're not hard to wrap our minds around. I said, but if you think that all of Scripture is meant to be read from where you're sitting, then you're missing the whole point of, of how it was created and what the in, intent is. It's meant for us to understand, but, but it does take a little bit of effort. Not that everybody has to be um, uh, a professor of New Testament interpretation like yourself or even just an ordained minister like myself trying to teach Scripture, but everybody does need to spend time and, as you say, do a close reading. Um, and so your insights are, are always appreciated. You reminded me of things that uh, we've talked about in class before. You've also brought some things to mind that I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't think I knew that. So that's always good. So thank you for your time. Uh, it has been my pleasure. Thank you all for the opportunity. I, I literally prayed before this session that, you know, these podcasts would be edifying to the audience. Yeah. And, um, I do what I do because I feel like I've been called to do it. Mm. Um, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to do it, especially to sit with you. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, and, and for Riley's uh, help in getting it all set up yeah. because uh, folks can't see it. But this is quite a setup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't get to hear from Riley, but I'm going to tell yeah. you what. Without Riley, you're not hearing anything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, well put. Yeah. Well put. But thank you for the opportunity. It's Absolutely. been my pleasure. And, Absolutely. Um, I'm glad to do it. In fact, this uh, is a lot more fun than a lot of other things I'm <laughs> called to do. So thank well, you. Unfortunately, you've got to get back to it. So we're going to get back to the audience. You've got to get back to your work. We're going to get back to the audience and say, hey, thank you for your patience. Thank you for journeying with us. Uh, Riley and I conceived this after our first time with Dr. McConnell and knew that it would be, it would be enriching. It would be edifying. Uh, and we hope that we have at least given some kind of honor to God's word. Hey, we're going to come back at you really soon uh, with a series on Advent. Uh, and let me tell you what, you're going to want to listen to this if for no other reason is we are going to bring some really interesting voices to bear to talk about Advent, uh, different theological perspectives, different genders, different ethnicities. Uh, you're getting ready to get a well-rounded theological perspective of Advent, and we're excited, and we hope you are as excited as we are. It's going to be great. So thanks a lot. Remember, stay in the Word, and we're going to keep this journey going as we always dwell as best we can in what God has given us. Thanks a lot.